Hello, I'm Rob Smith. Welcome to uh, the fourth episode in a somewhat sporadic series of interviews with people that I find interesting or who have a real interesting story to tell. Some of them are business people, some of them aren't, but they all have something I think that's genuinely insightful to say and are definitely worth spending a bit of time with. This podcast features a conversation with Sophie Astin, who spent five years as PA to legendary writer, thinker and environmentalist Douglas Adams, author of Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, The Meaning of Lyft, the Dirk Gently Holistic Detective series, Last Chance to See and loads and loads more. Sophie's a successful independent businesswoman herself these days, a creative content writer for business based in Tunbridge Wells in Kent. Her business is called Star Words, uh, Star Wards, Star Words. Uh, I saw her link to Douglas Adams through a post that she'd actually put on LinkedIn where she was talking about it being the 21st anniversary of his sudden death to a heart attack back in 2001 and talking about what a huge loss he was to the world. But it actually got me thinking about what a huge impact it must have had on her as a person to have spent so long working so closely with someone so unique and then to have all that taken away in one fell swoop, but still to have to carry on working. Really tough to get through. So I reached out to ask her about that and what actually happened and how it affected her. And I have to say she was remarkably candid and honest about all of it. We actually met for a conversation at Sophie's house in May of 2022 and the recording starts at a point where, in fact, we'd been chatting about our kids and uh, I had uh, mentioned that my son has a real interest in the environment and film and is starting a course at UWE in Bristol with all of that in mind. Here we go. So he's very interested and concerned in the environment and... Uh, the state of the world and what that's going to mean and therefore how what he can do about that. That's, okay. that's his sort of motivation for things. Right. Has but he read he... Um, Last Chance to See by Douglas Adams? No, he hasn't. <laughs> okay. that's a, what, a, what a segue. What a segue. <laughs> um, that's actually the book that Douglas was most proud of writing. Yeah. Conservation was, was absolutely his sort of priority. Um, and Mark Harwardine is based in Bristol, somebody mm-hmm. that he should look up or follow on mm-hmm. whatever social media because he's, he's the guy that, um, that, hold, that sort of drove the whole uh, trip, the whole mission that mm-hmm. Douglas did out to Madagascar and all sorts of other interesting places to look at um, endangered species. Yeah, yeah. And mm. sadly, some of them have gone now. Yeah. It genuinely was a last chance to see, wasn't it? Komodo dragon, I don't know if that's still... I think the no, Komodo there's still dragon a few Komodo dragons. Um, it's, the, it's the black rhino, I think it's called, right, isn't it? Right, yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, that's, Bristol is the place to be for that kind of thing, isn't it? Yeah. <clears throat> so, uh, when Last Chance to See was being pulled together, mm. you were working with Douglas at that point? <clears throat> no, 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 that preceded me. Um, that was... Um, don't ask me for the dates of that. No, I, I started working for Douglas in 96, I right. think it was. Mm-hmm. Um, completely by chance. Um, I've been working at Temping, having started my career in advertising and realised it absolutely wasn't for me at all. Joined a Temping agency in London, was sort of a bit hand to mouth mm-hmm. because living in London is expensive yeah. and I hadn't quite sort of planned for that. And I started Temping, and which I loved and got loads of cool sort of gigs and opportunities, Nickelodeon TV and all sorts of interesting places. And then the call came from the recruitment agency to say that... Um, this digital media company were looking for a PA mm-hmm. for the founder, a guy called Douglas Adams. Okay, I'll go along for the interview. 
And said, but you had no idea. I had who absolutely was. no idea. And then near the time they said, you know, he's an author. He's quite famous, don't you? And I said, oh, oh, right. Watership down. Watership down. That's the <laughs> so quickly. Wrong Adams. Yeah. Yeah. Got my my rabbit anecdotes ready. <laughs> Rocked after the interview. Um, and obviously it wasn't him at all. And and I think that probably helped because I wasn't a fan. Uh-huh. And he's he was surrounded by fans. Yes. And in fact, lots of my colleagues were fans and they found it quite a struggle working with him. You know, because, because day in, day out. Well, because, you know, this was a man they'd grown up with his literature, with his radio series. And they genuinely just thought he was a bit of a god. And, mm-hmm. and I kind of didn't come with any of that baggage. So yeah. uh, anyway, I got the job and that was 96. And um, yeah, it was... Uh, that was at a time when we were producing a video game called Starship Titanic. Right, okay. Uh, which did pretty well, of its sort, of its kind. Um, a very artistic, elaborate video game. Well, I was having a, a look at that, and we might come back to it in a bit okay. more detail later on, sure. because he was an amazing sort of futurist, wasn't yeah, he, yeah, in yeah, terms absolutely. of like, but he was well ahead of the curve on so many well, things. Well, he invented the internet, really. In <laughs> lots of ways. He was yeah. the first person in Europe to get a Mac. Yeah. Um, I think the second was Stephen Fry, so yes, it's like pretty I good company, isn't it? I think there was always that slight like competition there. Um, um, but, but Starship Titanic was the first attempt to have a kind of artificial intelligence conversation Correct. within a video game. Correct. Um, and yeah. nobody's really managed to crack anything similar to that. And yeah. considering how woefully rubbish the technology was in comparison to where we are today yeah if douglas was around today he'd be doing some pretty extraordinary oh, stuff wouldn't he absolutely and I, I think that all the time i i look at i mean everything that we do that you know we don't even think twice about it now but if you think back to the last sort of 20 years since he died you know the the, the leap that we've made mm-hmm. that continues to go like that you know is extraordinary and he would be lapping it up yeah let's yeah. go back in time because i often do say that when I'm, I, I marvel at my phone and I say, look, we've got the Hitchhiker's Guide yes. these days. Yeah. You have got all the information in the world. At your fingertips. It, literally in the palm of your hand. And it's yeah. just astonishing. Yeah. Um, so let's go back and be a little bit more general for a bit and okay. talk about him as a person and your relationship mm. with him. Mm. So what was it like when you first met him? What was he actually like? What did you think? Um big tall physically tall he was six foot four something like that so physically he sort of had a presence that everybody felt Mm -hmm. um just very smart and very funny in equal measures um you know but didn't ever try to make you feel stupid Mm -hmm. um even though he had a huge brain um he was very warm and and welcoming to be around and and yeah I mean just just a huge amount of fun and how old were you then when you went to work with him so I would have been in my mid-20s yeah so it was quite a life-changing experience then it turned out to be I had no idea what that it would become that but it really did and you know in the short time that I worked with him five years until he died in 2001 very unexpectedly um you know, the number of people that I met, it's hard not to sort of name drop because it was just like, wow, I've suddenly just entered this incredible world of intellect and music. You know, his contacts spanned so many different areas, whether it was you know, cha- cha- charity and... With? Well, so he worked with this... Um, through Apple, there was a scheme called the Apple Masters Programme. 
and that was a group of uh, sort of like-minded musicians and, and writers and all sorts of interesting people across the world who sort of think different. Mm-hmm. And um, he was one of them. And he and so every couple of times a year, they would go to New York or San Francisco to the big new Apple launch of the next new product. They'd be given a whole heap of stuff and they'd mm-hmm. be sent at home with it to sort of try it out and yeah. evangelize about it, basically. Mm-hmm. And I was able to go on a couple of these trips with him. and. You know, dinner one night and Muhammad Ali is there and Douglas says, oh, uh, Sophie, you, m- you must know Muhammad Ali. Said, of course I do. Yes, on first name terms. Um, you know, I don't know, he had parties where, you know, I met Salman Rushdie. If Salman meets Sophie, okay, right. Um, you know, Stephen Fry, people like that were sort of around quite a lot of the time. Um, so, yeah, it was not a world that I was used to. No. Um, and was it, it intimidating being part of that? No, because again, he just made you feel very, very at ease. Hence the sort of, you know, the introductions just being very sort of off the cuff. Normal. Yeah. Of course. Because actually, as you know, in your role, famous people are only people. They've just done extraordinary things. Well, and that's the thing, isn't it? A lot of people never twig that. And they think that people who do anything that's publicly visible are different. And to be sort of... um, yeah, to have this sort of uh, protective aura around them at all times, but actually they don't really want that. They want people to engage on a human level with them. Some do, and they need okay. bringing down a peg or two <laughs> yes, <laughs> when yeah. you meet them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I've never true, met anybody actually. who's you know people with that kind of massive ego. People who think they're better than everybody yes. else. Yes. They're just. They are just yeah. people. I did meet a couple of those. Mm-hmm. I won't mention by name, but um, but you would have heard of them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, but no, he was just very, and actually, I mean, it was funny because he, he, he kind of knew that I was, you know, that I was a little bit starstruck probably at the beginning by some of his sort of, you know, friends. And he, there was one time and he knew that I was a huge um, John Cleese fan. Right. So he fabricated a, an errand for me to, to do. Right. To, to deliver something to John's house. <laughs> right, okay. And he just said, I, I just, just, you know, just say it's from, it's a, it's a letter or it's a document or something. Oh, I can't remember what it uh-huh. was. And I travelled across to Holland Park, where John Cleese's house was, and he wasn't there. <laughs> but but he did wangle me some tickets to the premiere of Fierce Creatures, which was the right. Um, okay, the film he was doing at the time, to, um, yeah. Fish Called Wanda. Wanda, exactly, yeah, which was a yeah. favourite. So so yeah, he was very very kind and accommodating to my to my uh, star struckdom. And um, <laughs> you know, now that you 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 sort of look back on that period, um, and the fact that. Obviously, he is a, a global figure these mm. days. When you when you type Douglas into mm. the internet now, he's still is the third the name that comes, comes up. up. You know, okay. he's, he's so that's <clears throat> yeah. that's an extraordinary level of of uh, kind of public recognition and knowledge. How do you kind of frame that with your life as a you know what your life is now? Because uh, well, my mum who is obviously a big fan of mine because she's my mum, mm-hmm. uh, would always say, refer to them as my glory days <laughs> because that was the time when I, <laughs> I lived in London. I was sort of living the, the, living the life really. And, yeah. you, know, um, you know, able to sort of meet interesting people, go to interesting events, eat at interesting restaurants, travel business class to America. I mean, you know, these things are not to be taken lightly when you're in your mid twenties. No. Um, how do I, how do I square that with where I am now is, is I don't really, because my life now is completely different mm-hmm. and, and very lovely and rich and good, but very different. Yeah. Um, I don't know how sustainable the other life would have been. 
Did, did he ever give you any advice? Are there any sort of bits that stick with you from that time? Um, well, towards the end, when there was a bit of kind of upheaval with um, sort of the business was then taken over by the BBC and there was a bit of kind of flux and I was taken over to the BBC for a short while and Douglas was very keen for me to stay with him as his personal assistant and he moved to Amer was moving to America at that point. He gave me, you know, we sort of outlined plans for if I didn't continue working with him, what I could do next. Um, and he was very keen that I should use my skill set to to maybe start my own business, which we were going to call Star PA, and mm -hmm. I was going to become a sort of virtual assistant, which was before the time that virtual assistants really existed, and have a kind of team of uh, clients. You know, um, he put me in touch with Terry Jones, for example, who was very keen. Um, and then, and then, and then Douglas died. Mm. So, so that never came to fruition. But uh, no, he was very, uh, yeah, he was very kind and um, keen to. To support me, yeah. Yeah. Uh, the moment when he died, as you say, that was unexpected. Mm, completely. W what happened? He was 49 and he was working out at a gym in California where he lived and he had a massive heart attack and didn't survive. And what impact did that have on you? Enormous, yeah. Um, from the moment that the call came in um, to to the sort of a year later, it was just a huge kind of, a sort of journey really from the shock of, of losing a really good friend um, to realizing that I didn't really have a job, um, to tying up a huge number of loose ends and being involved with lots of interesting projects. But the one person that you really wanted there was no longer there. Mm. Um, and then you know, sort of having to force me to, to really reevaluate what to do next, where I was going to channel my experience and expertise next. Um, so, yeah, it was it was a really sort of tumultuous year. Mm. Yeah. Mm. Because, you know, he's clearly such an enormous character and you were, you were working with him on a daily basis oh, yeah. for, what, five, six years? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, from the first phone call in the morning, because I towards the end that he was he was in California and I was in London so we had an eight hour time difference so I would phone him at um what did I phone him I'd phone him at the start of my day that was it so he was five hours behind no eight hours I'm just trying to get that right actually so I'd ring him at the end of my day that was it just as he was getting up mm -hmm. um just to check in with email and you know what's in the calendar today and you know stuff that needed to be done so it would always be the sort of first thing that and the last thing that I did mm -hmm. um yeah, I mean, it was it was a full on roll. Um, so yeah, it was it was like having that taken away overnight was huge. And and he was, I mean, he wasn't just your boss though, was he? You know, he was a friend. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. We spent a lot of time together, and and uh, and what what sort of intrigues my children now is that you know I've got some books here that you know various biographies and and so on. Mm -hmm. And you look in the index and there's Sophie Astin with, you know, several sort of entries and you sort of don't realise until you look back, sort of, I don't know, maybe that I was quite an important person in his life as well because mm -hmm. I kind of ran... His, his operation. Yeah. His diary. I helped making to run sure it. I, I didn't run it entirely, but I helped. Uh, no, but, did my but, part, but yeah. There, there was a lot of <laughs> stuff that you would have organised that wouldn't have happened if... Right. Because famously, he loved the sound of deadlines washing by. <laughs> yes. 
he was difficult to pin down to actually get anything finished and yeah. done. And that was yeah. your, you, you were kind of Corralling Douglas Adlin, yeah. Adams wrangling <laughs> all I the time. I did have to do quite a lot of that, yeah. Um, but all with a huge sense of humour. And, and I don't remember any sort of, I don't know, you know, when you sort of think of bosses being kind of barking orders or being snappy or whatever. I, don't, I genuinely don't remember him being like that mm-hmm. ever. He was very, a very easygoing person to be around. So John Lloyd, the uh, BBC producer who created all sorts of stuff and worked, mm. worked very closely with, with Douglas on a number of projects, I think yep. including the original Hitchhiker's Guide, I think. I'm, I'm not completely sure on that, but they certainly knew each other very well. And he tells a lovely story about the last time they had lunch. Okay. And at the beginning of the lunch, Douglas said to him something along the lines of, I've figured it out. I've got the, I know the answer to what we're here for, what our purpose is. And John Light then said something along the lines of, at that moment, I had a kind of a choice as to whether to um, say, oh, really? And then Douglas would talk at me for the next two and a half hours about it. And I wouldn't find (laughs) out anything about, you know, anything else. Or I could say, oh, that's interesting. How's the wife and kids? Um, And and we could have a nice lunch and talk about those things and come back to it later. Um, And and he chose the latter option and said, oh, really? That's interesting. Okay, how's everything else? And then they talked about stuff and had a nice lunch. And then, as he put it, then the bastard went and died. So he never got to find out, you know. And and he said that that of anybody he's ever met, Douglas Adams was the one person who might have genuinely come up with a good a good meaning a of good life beyond thing. beyond 42 yeah yeah did you ever get any hints of what what his philosophy was then um no but i i do i i do know that he would have had a huge amount more to to give um and actually when we were when i was involved in <clears throat> the salmon of doubt which was the publication of his sort of un, un previously yeah. unpublished works you know, there was a lot of stuff in that. I was slightly ambivalent about whether we should be doing that, actually, mm-hmm. because I sort of thought, if, it, if he hasn't chosen to publish it now, why would he want to have it? You know, he was very, very... He was a perfectionist. He was scrupulous about what went out and what didn't go out. And, I mean, he would do lectures, his keynote speeches and lectures around the world, and he would fine-tune them to the last word mm-hmm. um, and spend hours and hours or maybe days doing that and then change one sentence. Mm-hmm. That was, you know... That was his craft, uh-huh. you know, uh, and that's probably why the deadlines whooshed by because he he couldn't be rushed with things. Mm-hmm. So when the book was was first mooted, I was a little bit worried that you know what would he have wanted? Would he have been happy for that to go out? Mm-hmm. And I, of course, we don't know. The same with the Hitchhiker movie, you know. Purists will say it wasn't as good as it could have been, and some people absolutely love it. It's a Hollywood version. It's what he always wanted. Mm-hmm. Um, Did you like? But it? he never saw it. So. Um, well, as I said at the beginning, I'm not a hitchhiker purist fan, so I look at it quite objectively, and I mm-hmm. think it's a great fun film. Yeah, my kids love it. Mm-hmm. You know, they're the next generation along, and then some. Um, but yeah, there's always going to be fans. The thing with hitchhikers fans is they know every single nuance of every scene, yes. don't they? they? Yes. You know, but the and thing then you get the same with sort of Lord of the Rings fans or, or Star totally. Wars fans. And there are some you know. people or yeah, Patrick O'Brien, Master and Commander. Right. Yeah, so exactly. like if, if every detail isn't right, then the whole thing is wrong. Exactly. But the thing with Hitchhikers is that when you look back at the history of it, mm. the radio shows had came certain first. things. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then the first Hitchhikers book came out. Yeah. And that bent 
all sorts of things quite radically differently to the radio yeah. series and the second radio series yeah. happened and then the restaurant at the end of the universe sort of combined bits exactly. of the two radio series and there are really big bits that aren't that don't match up between right and that's the radio that's and okay. the books and that's, the telly well of course evolution in the same way but that douglas was part of all of those well, exactly he yes. created all of those yeah. so to, to if you're going to be a purist about stuff and say no 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 yes. that version is the correct version yeah. then you're dissing yes. that version yeah and they just happened at different points yeah. and different bits of the creative process. And, so. and actually, I think at the end of the day, the fact that the film was made at all, you know, he used to say it was like cooking a steak by breathing on it. You know, it was just <laughs> this laboriously long, pro, pro, you know, progress that, that just wasn't happening. And he'd moved out there in order to have it made uh-huh. and sadly, you know, died. It didn't happen um, at that time. No, no, no. Do you have a... Yeah, and, and you've said that you weren't a fan when you started. You're going to ask me if I've got a favourite book, aren't I you? I am, yeah. yeah. No. no? That's not the question to ask me. Move, no. next. Okay. <laughs> there are, there, so, um, because the other bit that always gets forgotten a little bit, and I think is, is a real crime, is the Dirk Gently yeah. stuff. Yeah. I think it's great. Yeah. And it's never quite hit with the public in the same way that Hitchhiker's Guy did. I think that was a proper zeitgeist moment. No, when that it, happened. it it was made into a an HBO series. I think it was in America okay, a couple Steven, of years ago. Steven recently, Mangan as well. Yeah. They did a yeah. version, didn't they? Yeah, that's BBC? right. Yeah. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's the thing. You know, I think he was sort of so famous for the Hitchhiker books that people sort of forgot about all his other stuff. And as I said at the beginning, Last Chance to See was was he would have said was definitely his best book. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The one he was most proud of, I think. I have, and I have to, to my shame, say that I haven't read that. Okay. So I'll have one to, to look get out Charlie, a I think. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So yes, um, conservation clearly was an incredibly important part of his mm. life, wasn't it? Yeah, and I'm not quite sure even how that sort of first came about, but um, he was patron of Save the Rhino and the Diane Fossey Gorilla Fund, um, and was was really very active, you know, with uh, with helping both. Didn't of he them. dress? Didn't he climb Kilimanjaro dressed as a rhino? He did, yeah. In a, in a, uh, which is not something that if you'd met Douglas, you would have thought was a particularly straightforward task, but he did it, yeah. Amazing. With a team of, of other people, yeah. Amazing. Yeah. So let's talk about you a little bit, because we talked about him, yeah. because you did survive that happening. I did. Massive emotional trauma that that would have been. Yeah. You kept the star bit of the star PA. I did. I did actually, yeah. And actually, if you look around my house, you'll see, and it's not a deliberate thing, um, the star motif, if you like. You can see them on my garden out there. It's quite a sort of running theme through my life. And I, it's definitely um, not intentional, but mm-hmm. it's always been there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I have got lots of stars in my house, actually, now I look around. <laughs> um, so start earrings, even. Um, so, yes, it was kind of inevitable that my business that I have now is called Star Words. Um, and I basically create written content for businesses, um, whether that's website content, blogs, articles, white papers, you name it. Mm-hmm. Um, so a bit like you in your journalistic career, I, I sort of have to dive in um, very quickly, you know, evaluate and learn on the spot what a business does and, and so on, and, and then support them in whatever they need, uh, and then move on to the next one. Mm-hmm. So it's a, I, I know a lot about things, but at a very sort of High level, if you know what I mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then I move on to the next one. And and it works as a business. It does. Yeah, I love it. I love it. How long have you been doing that now? Then that's what sort of twenty odd years since. Uh... Um, no, I've been well. So since he died, I I sort of had a whole journey of of roles, but all of them have sort of led to this. Um, 
a writing career, not as as a, I'd never purport to be an author, I would never do that, but um, but certainly writing has always been a passion. Um, Whether he influenced that in some way, who knows, possibly, Um, but I've gone through sort of, yeah, various different different jobs to get to where I am now. And actually COVID kind of helped in a way, Mm -hmm. because again, a bit like when he died, and I had to sort of re-evaluate and reinvent myself to some extent. The same happened with COVID. I was um, just emerging as fully self-employed at that point when, when it hit. And, oh gosh, you know, overnight most of my clients left because mm-hmm. they couldn't, you know, forward plan budget and so on. Um, so in the last couple of years, I've, I've uh, accrued a whole new raft of clients who I love. And... Uh, ever-changing um, and I now I'm fully self-employed doing what I love doing which is great so what um, advice then would you give to kids who are you know growing up at the moment mm. I know you've got teenagers mm-hmm. I've got teenagers yeah we all try <laughs> to impart our wisdom to <laughs> yes. them and they pay no attention to it whatsoever <laughs> no. but let's imagine there's a mythical teen out there <laughs> who exists who will take on board what we're saying what advice would you give to them? What would you give to your teenage self um, in advice terms? Well, first of all, I, I, I definitely made the right choice at university. And I know that that's not for everybody and it may not be the right thing for so my what kids did you to do? go to. I did a degree called combined arts. Mm-hmm. So it's basically almost like doing sort of A-levels again. It was three different subjects that you sort of hone down and you major in a subject at the end of it. And it's designed exactly for people like me who didn't really know what they wanted to do. So what, what did you pick? Um, so I did French uh, French history of art and sociology. Okay. Um, sociology I loved, but actually I ended up majoring in French. So I had a four-year degree with a year in France. My mother was a French te- modern languages teacher, so it was mm-hmm. sort of in the blood anyway. Mm-hmm. Went up to Leicester and did that for four years. Three years at Leicester and one year in Nancy in France. And... Um, you know, I, I think that's ideal for people who still, you know, 18. Well, how do you know what you really want to do at 18? Unless you've got a vocation like... And do you, you think know, that's worth it even with the massive expense there is involved in university? Well, that's a sense. really good question. I think there's a big demand now for sort of apprenticeships and learning on the job and, and dipping your toe in. I think also doing what I did when I, um, you know, found my way to working with Douglas, which was, you know, working with a, a temping agency. And, um, you know, there's no stigma to that. It's a brilliant way to just dip your toe in and see what floats your boat whether it might be working in you know finance services or or you know retail or or the media or whatever mm-hmm. um i think it's brilliant i just think that now there are so many so much red tape you know you try and get a you know job experience work experience at somewhere like the bbc it ain't gonna happen sadly not easily not in the same um, way although some people seem to manage to circumvent these things but you okay. know that's that's always the way isn't it yeah. but no i mean i i totally agree i think that you know I did a history degree, never with any intention of being a historian. No. But to go to university and to try and figure stuff out. Yeah. And while I was at university, I got into doing radio. And then radio Uh, led into my career. So it was one of those things that it was absolutely that moment of just giving yourself time to grow up a bit well, <laughs> as much yeah, as anything because really the age honest. of 17 I mean, it, 18 and exactly. got a clue about anything. and actually moving away from home and, and having to you know meeting people from all different walks of life is a mm-hmm. really great you know life experience I think I wouldn't have changed that for the world I had a brilliant time mm-hmm. um, in fact you know my university gang uh, we've got a whatsapp group that's probably about 18 of us on it still mm-hmm. we try and meet up you know when we can every couple brilliant. of years or so so yeah very valuable experience 
Yeah, I loved it. Would you ever tell your kids about your university life? No. <laughs> no. And thankfully, it's not on social media. That's a big difference as well these days, isn't it? Yeah. God, no. Yeah, amazing, amazing. <laughs> well, look, I mean, Sophie, it's been fantastic having a conversation with you. Um, I'm really glad to see that life is going in a, in a great direction for Thank you. Thank you, yeah. What would Douglas make of what you do these days, do you think? I think he'd be very proud, actually. You know, I'm, I'm happy and contented. I've got um, an interesting, as I say, an interesting range of clients. I mean, some of them, you know, range from the, the more interesting to the more, um, you know, it's a, di- it's a diverse range, yeah. you say. Um, well, it, a working world involves some pragmatic relationships, absolutely. doesn't it? Yeah. Absolutely. And some, in fact, most take me regularly out of my comfort zone, which I think can only be a good thing when mm-hmm. you get to sort of our age. I think it's healthy to be pushed a little bit. Mm-hmm. It's very easy to just put those comfy slippers on and, you know, pad about. And, you know, I think it's good to be pushed a bit. To be pushed a bit. So I definitely feel that I'm doing that. But also the work-life balance is, is second to none, being self-employed, working from home, um, able to be around my children when they need me, um, and, and enjoy a, a lovely mix, sunny day from my own home is just brilliant. And because we're more or less the same age, I yep. was born 1970, yep. know, a couple of years after. Yep. Having reached our age, is that a good thing? Oh, yeah. Yeah, I think so. I feel very. I, I, yeah, I, I, I had a sort of word to myself the night before my 50th birthday last year, actually, and just sort of wanted to kind of establish how contented or not I was in every area of my life and I sort of thought you know yeah I mean we can always be you know richer or more well-traveled or you know slimmer or whatever but actually as a package I think it's you know it's going about, all right <laughs> it's about love isn't it you know it's a cliche with these things but yeah. it is fundamentally about love and if yeah. you've got people that you love and yeah. who love you yeah that genuinely is, is enough. all you need yeah I think I and everything else right. is detail yeah I'd agree with that yeah. <laughs> there we go. It's a good philosophical really point was, to end yeah. there, isn't it? Lovely. Sophie, thanks ever so much. Thank you.